Well, this morning we're going to go ahead and start a, a study. It's probably going to be quite a few weeks on the book of Colossians. And uh, I know Jan's been waiting on us to go through a book here. She says, I like the topical stuff, but I really like it when you go through a book. So she, she's like, if you want to use the pool, we need to do a, a different type of study. So here we are today. <laughs> Just kidding. She'd never do that. But we're going to go through the book of Colossians. And, and, you know, I really love reading the letters that Paul writes to his churches. Because you see inside of Paul the heart and the attitude that he has. And this is actually a very interesting one. Because how many of you guys know that Paul didn't start the church in Colossae? This wasn't his church. He'd never been there before. He had never met. We're going to see in a couple of passages, he says it's, that, that you've never seen my face. I've only, I've only heard of you. He's never been there before. But yet his heart is still the same for this church, even though it wasn't one that he planted. His heart for it is still the same. And he still loves them. He still uh, toils on the inside for them and struggles for them to hear what needs to be heard. And I, I just find it amazing the attitude that Paul has. So a little bit of a backstory on this letter. This was written by Paul during his first Roman imprisonment, most likely between A.D. 59 and 61. So he's in prison when he writes this letter. And that's important, too, because you're going to see how he writes and the words he uses, and you're going to be like, man, this guy's in prison and he's still writing like that. But this town, uh, Colossae, I think it's Colossae is how you pronounce it, it's one of the, the three cities located about 100 miles inland from Ephesus. So basically, this is the path from the east, they go through one of three cities, Colossae, uh, Laodicea, I think is the other one, and there's one other ones, but there's paths that go through on the way to Rome in Ephesus. So this is the path that everybody takes. It's a well-traveled city. It's got influence from every different direction. So there's Jews that live there. There's pagans that live there. There's now Christians that live there. There's Eastern religions and philosophies that live there. And this was just a, a huge, important trade route. So as, as you often see in those kind of areas, it's, it's like this, this uh, melting pot of different, different uh, religions and people types and people groups. And at one time, all three of these cities were growing and becoming quite prosperous. But somehow, people were deciding that they, had, they would rather use, go through Laodicea on the way to Rome. So Colossae is kind of dropping off the map a little bit. It's not really a super important city. It's still big. It's still bustling. But it's not a super important city. And the interesting thing is, is we'd probably never, ever hear of this city in the, in the, in the New Testament, except for the fact that the pastor there came to Paul and said, hey, we got some stuff going on. Do you think you could speak to my people? So it's a very, a very strange, this is not like any of other, other of Paul's books. And actually the, the issue that they're dealing with, like I said, it's this melting pot of these different religions, these different societies. And the issue that Paul's dealing with is that people were kind of playing the, and Christians in particular were starting to play the pick your own religion game. And they're like, oh, I like this bit of Christianity. This sounds good, but well, I like this little bit of, 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 of Judaism, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick that out and put it in my basket. And Oh, look, there's some, there's some uh, pagan stuff here that seems pretty cool, so I'm going to put that in my basket. And Oh, look, there's some Eastern stuff here. That looks pretty cool, too. You know, I like to do yoga, so we're going to put that in, in my basket. And they start to begin to mix up this. We've got this pseudo-Christian thing going on, and, and, and it was beginning to threaten to destroy the work, the church that had been built in that city. Because all of a sudden, Christ wasn't at the center of what they were doing. 
And the funny thing is, or in the words of Joseph, it's not really funny. The interesting thing is that uh, (laughs) this book has so much implication on us today. That city sounds a lot like what we got going on here. A mix of influences from all different backgrounds and religions. And they must have been struggling with the exact same things that, that we ourselves are struggling with today. Competing religions and philosophies. Today we see, what do we see on the backs of of bumper stickers? Tolerance and coexist. And there's all kinds of things wrong with that. One, the thing about truth is there can only be one truth. So if Christianity is right, then by definition everything else is incorrect. But two, what they really mean is, let everybody else do their things, but Christians, you just hush up. Step to the back. There's no, they don't want to coexist with us. And they also must have had people telling them that they didn't qualify, that they weren't good enough because they do this or that. There were people that picked different parts out and, and, and oh, you know what, you're not, you're not self-deprecating enough. You're not, you're, not, you're not staying back from stuff. You have a nice house, so, man, you're not really a Christian. And there were, there were people telling them that. I mean, we even have had that before. People think that if you're going to be a good Christian, you've got to get rid of everything you own and live in, 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 uh, in poverty which you don't find anywhere in the Scripture, but people have picked out these different things. So in this letter, Paul's going to really spend some time and deal with the preeminence of Christ in our lives. And in this, not only in our lives, but also the preeminence of Christ just in this world in general. And he's also going to be dealing with, with us letting things in this world dictate our steps instead of letting Christ dictate our steps. How many of you know that you need to let Christ dictate each and everything that you do and don't let the influence of the world that's around us dictate what we do? And it's so easy to do that because you have people at work telling you, hey, you need to be doing this. Or you got the TV telling you, hey, you need to be doing this. There was a commercial came out not too long ago that said that, that uh, happiness is a, is a bottle of Coke. If it were only that easy, huh? Tell you what, you're not going to find your fulfillment in a bottle of Coke. And how many of the different beer commercials are out there, or the chip commercials say, man, if you want to live a good life, if you want to have a good time, all you got to do is eat a Dorito. <laughs> Tell you what, I've had some Doritos lately, and, and they just don't do well on my stomach anymore. I don't think it's going to give me happiness. I guarantee you Taco Bell's not the answer. Oh, there, there was this guy that, that, that put a tweet out one time on, on Twitter, and he wrote, had Taco Bell last night, and it was, uh, <clears throat> it was awesome. And Taco Bell tweeted back, said, yeah, what'd you get? And he goes, diarrhea, but it was worth it. <laughs> Basically, we're going to go on and read that Christ is, is or Paul's telling me, you know what, you need to put on Christ. This is the scriptures we heard put on Christ, almost like it's a garment. You've got you to gotta walk the walk. You've got to look the part and walk the walk. And what's really interesting about this, this whole letter is he's dealing with all these false teachers, all these false doctrines. You know what? Paul doesn't attack these false leaders, these false doctrines. But instead, he makes Christ the focus of this entire letter. You know what? That's the answer here today as well. It's not going to do us any good attacking all these other religions. Because basically proving some other religion isn't correct is not going to do anything. That's not going to get people saved. What they need to do is hear about Christ. They need to make Christ the centerpiece of their life. That's what's going to make a difference. 
It's the same reason when people, uh, you know, start talking about politics and stuff. And they start talking about, you know, we have to pass these laws. We have to do these things. You know what? Passing Christian laws isn't going to get anybody saved. They need Jesus. Matter of fact, if you want to see Christian laws get passed, let's get Christians in office that are going to live the life that they've been called to live. Amen? And finally, there towards the end of this book, probably everybody's favorite part is to give instructions to spouses. You're going to hear how you're supposed to take care of your spouses. Praise God. So you guys ready to get started? You know, see, I wasn't sure how this message is going to go because I, I've entitled this message Colossians 1. And that doesn't mean chapter 1, that means part 1. Because we're only going to get about halfway through chapter 1 today. So I don't know how long this is going to take. But I feel like it might be a little bit short because I didn't want to get into the next section. Otherwise, it would be really long. So we'll see how long I, I, I blabber on up here and see if this is a short one or a normal one. So we'll find out. So let's get started. Colossians 1, 1 through 2 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Yeah, that's one thing I love about reading Paul's letters. It's, he always starts with this great bit of encouragement to everybody. And like I said, this is an interesting letter because Paul's never been to Colossae. He's never met these folks. He's never met the church. And he still greets them exactly the same way as he would greet churches that he uh, planted himself, that he founded himself. He says, an apostle of Christ, well, he just wants to let them know who he is because they've never met him before. He says, hey, this is Paul, I'm an apostle. And he says, and he says of Christ by the will of God, saying, I'm an apostle because of God, not because somebody said I'm an apostle. God appointed me to this position. And he says, I'm with Timothy. So Timothy's there. I don't know if Timothy's in prison with Paul or just visiting Paul, taking care of him. But he says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Now this is interesting. He says, to the saints and faithful brothers of Christ at Colossae. So he's heard that they're Christians, that they have faith. But obviously, there's problems going on. I mean, that's why Paul's been asked to send this letter. Say, hey, there's some, some stuff going on. Stuff's trying to creep into the church. Our, our, you know, the, the gospel is getting twisted up a little bit. But he says, you know what, I, we're going to find a little bit. He heard that they still have genuine faith. So he says, even though things aren't quite right, you know what? You are still my faithful brothers in Christ. And then he says, he says, this is to the saints. How many in this room is a saint? All right, I'm going to, I'm going to do this again. Everybody lift their hand up. If you've been saved, raise your hand. And I'm going to ask the question. If you're, if you're saved, raise, I will wait. Raise your hand. Are you saved? There we go. Now, don't put your hands down. Everybody raise your hand if you're a saint. There you go. If you're saved, you're a saint. There's not some qualification in the Scripture. The, the saint is an identity, not a promotion. And you're referred to, this is, he, these people, obviously stuff's messed up. They got some problems. They're, they're not doing it all right. And he still refers to them as saints. Because they're not a saint for what they're doing. They're not a saint because they're super spiritual. They're not a saint because they've, they've healed or done so many miracles while they're alive and, and had a miracle attested to them after they were dead, which I think is part of the process to become a saint in the Catholic Church. But they're saints because they're saved. Because God has changed them on the inside. It's an identity, not a title and not a promotion. And he says... To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ the cause. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. You know, Paul extends his grace and peace to them. And I imagine this was probably kind of a, a 
run-of-the-mill greeting of that time. I, I imagine that's a common, common, you know, it's just it's kind of like when we go out to people and we're like, hey, how's it going? And we really don't care. I imagine that was what this greeting was equivalent to. Except for, I believe, that when Paul says that he was sincere. He, he was saying grace and peace to you. And this is what he really meant. It, it wasn't for him like, hey, how are you doing today? And then he walks off real quick not to hear the answer. He, he was sincere for them. And he loved them. Matter of fact, we're going to see in Colossians 1.28, it says, he says, Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present to everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all this energy that he powerful works within me. He says that I, I toil for you. I struggle for you. I, this, is, this is serious business for me. He's not just going through the motions. And we're going to see that this is the, the heart attitude that Paul, you know what, I want to be a pastor like Paul was. I want everything inside of me to hurt for other people, to love other people. I want it, you know, and I want people to know that when I speak to them that, that it's always sincere and I care about them and I love them and I want to make an impact in their life. Paul is, is the type of pastor that I strive to be. And the reality is, is this isn't even for his church. This is for believers in a different city that he's never even been to. But that's the kind of attitude that I want. And in Colossians 1, 3 through 5, at least the first part of 5, it says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Like I said, Paul was such a great encourager when he spoke to people. And he, started, he appreciated others in Christ. And he, as soon as he heard about these people, like they were having some problems. Church was struggling a bit. There's some weird stuff going on. But as soon as he heard about their faith, the fact that they really loved you, he began to pray. He says, you know what? We always thank God for you. Every time we pray for you. As a matter of fact, depending on which translation you read and, and how the, this is worded, it, it may not say that, that always could actually refer to you that we always thank God for you or we always pray for you. But the reality is, is that these people were in his prayers always. And, and Paul's in prison at this time. And never once do you hear Paul complaining about being in prison. And instead he said, you know what, I give thanks for you. This situation I'm in, adds eh, nothing. It's short-lived anyway. Even if I die here, it's short-lived, right? But he, he says, you know what, I thank God for you, for the work that's been doing in you, for the change that's happened in your life. I thank God that you're no longer who you used to be. And he says, we think because we heard of the faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. We're just so thankful that God has touched your life. And this is the attitude that, that we should have inside of us, every single one of us, not just pastors. All of us should have this attitude inside of us, this, this, this reality that, you know, when we know that when people get saved, we should be thanking God for them. And particularly in this case, it's not even just the people in our congregation, but we should be thanking God for every believer in this city, every believer in this state, country, and ultimately in this world. And the question that I would ask for you is, are, are you rejoicing for your fellow, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Particularly in this room, do you, are you praying for them regularly? Are you thanking God for them in your life? And are you rejoicing when you, when you learn that someone is honoring God with their life when you hear someone gets saved? Do you begin to rejoice with the angels in heaven? I know for one that I, I give thanks for all of you guys regularly. And uh, 
Because I am so blessed by every single person in this room. I'm blessed by your faithfulness. I'm blessed that for some reason you come stand underneath this, this, this crazy guy up here that preaches in blue jeans and a button-down shirt. And I'm so thankful that you're here. And I'm thankful for your love that I see for one another. I, I look out and I see how you guys care about one another. And you're always there for one another. And I, one of the things that greatly blesses me more than you'll ever imagine is the fact that everybody here is willing to serve. Do you realize that that, that attitude is so rare in the church today? Typically in a church, it's 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. And here, everybody, every time I've asked, I've never had somebody... Tell me that they weren't willing to help. When I ask, you guys step up, and I'm so thankful for that. And even more importantly, I'm so thankful for the work that God has done inside you. Now, some of you guys have been Christians for a long time, and you were, you were fully mature Christians when you showed up here. But some of you guys, I saw you when you were just starting on. I've seen growth in you guys. It is absolutely amazing, and I, I give thanks for you guys. And actually, while I'm thinking about this, Last week, if you guys remember, I was, I was thanking George for his faithfulness and his working here and, and helping out. And I realized something, that Anna is always there right by his side. And I, I didn't say that out loud, so I wanted to make sure that she was on her too. I want to say thank you for the work you guys do, because it's, and I'm sorry, I, your name slipped my mind last week. It's not that I don't know, I just, <laughs> so, but thank you. I thank God for all of you guys. But the truth is that our thankfulness shouldn't just end with our local body. You know, some of the things that, one of the, the, the kind of the vision that, that God has placed in my heart is I want to start meeting with other pastors in the area and see what we can do to work together. I went and spoke to that pastor at the, at the church up there that's meeting in the, uh, uh, the school. Uh, his name is, is Pastor Joe. It's, uh, the name of the church is, is uh, Vintage Church, and uh, they're, a, they're a Baptist church. And I began to talk to him. I said, you know... Uh, uh, you know, I really think we should get together, you know, have a vision to start meeting with people. And I said, you know, as long as you've got the Jesus part right, we can, we can work together. All the other stuff, all the other little doctrinal stuff, it doesn't matter as long as we're sharing Christ with people. And I'm so thankful that there are other churches in this city. I mean, there's churches in almost all the schools. We have a church around the corner. We don't all believe the same thing on, on non-salvation issues. As long as we've got the salvation thing right, we can work together. And I thank God that we're not the only church here. Because one, we could never do it. And two, some people need different stuff than what will be offered here. They'll fit in differently. And there's a place for them. And I thank God for that. And the reality is is that we should be praying and giving thanks for all of the life-giving churches in this community, in this city. And that's one of the things you'll notice that since the beginning, we've regularly prayed for the other churches uh, during, during the prayer meeting in the morning. Which, by the way, I'd recommend everybody attend. That's it's a real important time for us to stand together for this congregation, for this city, for this community. And, uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's a half hour. You've got to get here an hour early to church. And let's just pray and stand together, amen? And then, f- the reason that's important, because this is a Paul doesn't say, I always thank God for you. He says, we. He's referring to him and Timothy. The other, the other uh, bond servants that are with him, workers of Christ, they were all praying for this church. And that's, that's the, the, the model that we should be doing as well. And then Colossians 1.5, uh, the, the last part of 
uh, through 8 says, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Now, if you've ever been reading Colossians, and you have to reread verses 3 through 8 like four times to try to figure out what he's saying, it's okay. In the Greek, that is one sentence. At least they put a period and some commas in here for us to try to follow it. But uh, that's a tough sentence to follow. But basically what he's, what he's saying here says, Of this you have heard before in the world of the truth, the gospel. What they heard of was this, this hope laid up for them in heaven. This was their driving point. They realized that, hey, there's something here in Jesus. And we had to live eternally. And because of this, he said, it has come to you as indeed in the whole world, is speaking of the gospel, it's bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you, so that also the gospel is increasing among them. And he says, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. So basically, the, the Colossians, they had this faith in Christ and this love for the saints because of the word that they had received. And because they had received the word, because somebody came out there and ministered to them, and actually in this case, it was Epaphras, they had, they had hope for the future. They had hope for their eternity. And we're seeing here that at this point, the gospel is spreading like wildfire. It's pretty crazy to think that, that a, a band of 12 disciples that were crippled when, they, when, when, when their, their Savior was killed, they were huddled around. They were destroyed. They had no passion. They had no anything to go and find out that Jesus came back to spread this gospel across the world. is an amazing thing. And Christianity was springing up like wildfire. And he says, you know what? The word has come to you as it is coming in the whole world. And it's bearing fruit. And it's increasing. The gospel was spreading. And the truth is, how could it not it says, since the day you heard it, understood the grace of God in truth. Man, how could the gospel not spread if you got a hold of that? How could you not share that with somebody? It says, yeah, it's, it's even spreading among you. Somebody grabbed hold of the truth and they shared it with everybody. They couldn't hold that up inside. They couldn't bottle that up. That's an incredible treasure that you have to let everybody know. And the thing is here, it was... Uh, the grace of God and truth. What Epaphras brought, what Paul was preaching, wasn't like the heresy and all this other stuff other people were bringing. This was the truth of the word of God. This had power. This was more than some, some philosophy that was supposed to make your life better. This was something that changed you miraculously on the inside. It was something so much more. And this is where we learn that this is actually Epaphras that's that he says he's our beloved fellow servant. I was reading in the commentaries that this is one of the few people that Paul refers to as a, as a fellow bond servant. He, was, he obviously at one point came up and was raised up underneath Paul, but Paul released him and sent him out and says, you know what, go do your thing. Go plant a church. And he went to Colossae. This was the, the epitome of what we just looked at the last, the last three weeks. Evangelize, equip, and power. This man was, was, was preached the gospel by Paul and he raised him up and he taught him and then he empowered him to go out and repeat the process. And obviously he was because he was ministering to the, to the Colossians and the Colossians were spreading it around through them. It says it's spreading among you as well. 
this is the example of what we want to be doing as a church as well. We want to lift, raise people up and send them out. And the thing is, is this is, this is a, like I said, the truth. And no matter what they heard from other teachers, from other people, they needed to disregard it. If it wasn't in line with the Word of God, they needed to disregard it. Remember what he said in Galatians 1.8? He says, But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. He's saying, hey, if you're hearing anything else other than the truth of the gospel, you need to disregard that. Don't let it into your life. You know, we also see a little bit of Epaphras' heart as well. Because it says that he went and ministered to this city. He got him saved. A church was going. His church was being threatened. And Paul says, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And it says, he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. He still, even though he still, even though he knew stuff was going on, he saw what Christ was doing inside these people. And he loved them. He loved them so much that he traveled all the way to, to a Roman prison to ask Paul, to tell Paul what was going on and say, hey, can you, can you write these guys a letter and help explain this to them a little bit better? And we see that heart of a pastor in Epaphras as well. In Colossians 1.9 it says, And so from that day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Once again we have the, since that day we heard, Paul has never been to this church, but he still continues to pray for them without ceasing. He doesn't stop. And in this, if you ever want to know how to pray for somebody, just read some of Paul's letters. Read how Paul prays for people. And he says, first, I ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. And then, all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, and the idea here is that Paul rarely prays for physical needs, if you notice in his letters. One, it's not that physical needs aren't important. I think we should pray for those as well. But you know what's far more important than our physical comfort? Is, is our spiritual comfort, our spiritual needs. We need to hear Christ preached all the time. We need to be praying for people to be filled with knowledge. We need to be praying for people to know the knowledge of God's will. And he says that I'm asking to you not to just have a little bit, but to be filled with the knowledge of His will. That's what we want. We don't want to have a little glimpse of what God's doing. But we, need, we want Him to, to know what, what God wants for our lives so that we're stepping out and walking in the, the correct direction. And that's what He's praying for these people. You know what? I want you to fully understand what Christ has done in you and what he expects of you. See, the knowledge that he was praying here was in contrast to the knowledge that other religions and offerings were offering. Everything else is just, you know, uh, the wisdom of man. But he's asking for a revelation from God. This wasn't something they could just pick up on the street by hearing somebody preach. It needed to be revealed to them. Basically, Paul was already convinced by what he had heard from Epaphras that they were saved, that they already had Christ. They didn't need a new experience with God. They needed to grow in the experience that they had already had. And that's what he was praying for them. And that's what uh, we should be praying for every one of us in our room, that we, that we would continue to grow, and not just us in the room, but the churches next door and the churches in the city and, and the rest of Praise Chapel and, and Every life-giving church that we know about should be in our, in our prayer rotation. It says, he says, 
we've been doing it without ceasing. We've not ceased to pray. When we pray for people, it shouldn't be a one and done thing either. We should continue to pray for people. They would continue to grow. Because we'll ask God, say, God, we, we just want them to grow in, in knowledge of you and spiritual wisdom, and they will. But you know what? There's still more room for growth. Let's keep We want to reach the stature, the measure and the stature of Jesus Christ. That's when everybody gets to be exactly like Jesus and we can start praying for him. Agreed? And we need to be doing that daily, praying for our brethren. And if you have too many to pray for daily, write a journal out. You know who you've got to pray for. Divide it up on the days. Pray for this group of people. I mean, there comes a point when you know too many people to pray for everybody in the same day, and at least to pray genuinely instead of, Lord bless Cliff and Jan, Lord bless Joseph and Kathy, Lord bless Maria and, and Hector, Lord bless Anita and Ken. I mean, that's not the kind of prayers we want. But we want to take time and actually pray for our brothers and sisters, for their well-being, for their, their growth, for their encouragement, for their strength. Divide it up. Pray for a few people a day. That's fine. But don't stop. It's not a one and done thing. And then he prays that the reason why we're praying that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding is that in Colossians 1.10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul prayed for them the same reason that we need to be prayed for like this as well, so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Know that, that he, what He wants us to do. Know how we can walk in His will and be pleasing to Him. And the truth is, we have it so much easier today than they had it back then. Because they didn't have the, the New Testament, all the letters from Paul and Peter and, and James and John all, all tied up into one neat package where we can access it in any manner of way that we want. You don't want to carry around a book? Look it up on your phone. You don't like that translation? Read a different one that's easier for you to read. We don't have any excuse to not know what God's will is for our life because He's made it clear in His Son. And, there's, and especially in the United States, there's so many different translations that word things differently but still hold the, the truth of the Gospel. And we have no excuse not to be able to learn this stuff, to know what God wants and to walk in a way that's, that's, that's worthy of Him. And as you begin to read the Scripture, you'll, your mind will begin to align with Jesus. And you don't even have to ask that question anymore. That's one thing the new believers ask. that you know, Can I still do this? Can I still do that? But as a mature Christian, you should, you should have been reading your Word. Your, your mind should be aligned with Christ. You shouldn't have to ask that question anymore. Your spirit will tell you when it's not okay, when it is okay. And if you're walking with God, if you're in alignment with Him, you're not going to want to do stuff that's not pleasing to Him. And he says that we want to walk fully pleasing to the Lord because we want to bear fruit in every good work. Do you know that all of us are supposed to work for God? That four-letter word there? We don't do it to get saved. You're already saved. But if you're saved, you're going to want to live for God. 
It's a natural result of that change inside of you that you're going to want to live for God. And I know some of you have already felt that. I've seen it all, all, already as, you know, as, as, as Hector and, and, and Maria have joined us and they're, they're catching on fire for God and they're, they're hungry. They're like, hey, what can we do? How can we help out? We want to do this. And, and that's amazing because what happens is, is something changes inside of you. They're not trying to, to help out so that they can be right with God, but because of what God's done in them, they want to do something for God. We were just, just talking to Hector on uh, yesterday morning, and we were talking about how when we look back at stuff that we used to enjoy, and we, we look at them like, man, this just doesn't, this doesn't sit right anymore. And how that it wasn't that we tried to change ourselves, but one day we realized that I'm just not who I used to be. And those things don't relate anymore. And that's what we want that, we want that knowledge of His will, and be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we can walk in a manner worthy to God, pleasing to Him. And as we do so, it's a cycle. We, it's just like when you, when you work with somebody. You get to know them. You get to know how they work. And you begin to come and sink even more, and you become more effective working together. The same is true with Christ. As we walk with Him and we, we work with Him, we begin to know His will even more. We get to know Him even better, and we begin to sync up and work together even more effectively. And we can walk even closer aligned to his will. And then he prays for them to be strengthened. In Colossians 1, 11 through 12, he says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You know, the Colossians needed some strength. They were going through some tough times. They were having that influence pressing in from every direction trying to push them away from the gospel. The enemy was working overtime. He didn't want people to be saved. He didn't want people living for God. And they were facing some tough opposition. They had weird doctrines, people trying to mix stuff up, people picking what they thought were the best parts of, the, of different religions, people that were trying to disqualify them for doing certain things. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Sounds a lot like what we deal with today. And on their own, they would have never made it. They needed his strength, and Paul knew that. He said, you know what? Be strengthened in him. And we need that strength today as well. If we want to continue walking in a manner that's pleasing to God, if we don't want to be distracted and pulled away, we need the strength of God because on our own, we could never do it. But in him, we can accomplish anything. Amen? And they also needed endurance and patience. One, they needed to be patient with people because... And the same is true for us today. People have all kinds of sorts of weird ideas in their head. And we can try to share the gospel with them. And, and if they reject it, we can't just turn our backs and say, you know what, guess you're out of luck. But instead, we need to be patient with them. We need to pray for them, especially if you have family members that need to get saved. Be patient and pray with them. And then it says, go on and endure as well. Endurance means there's going to be some opposition. There's going to be stuff pressing against you. You've got to push through it. And he says, you know what? You need that power according to his glorious might so that you can endure patient. But then he says, you need to do it with joy. I think this is why we need this, this, his strength and endurance and patience so we can hold on to our joy. Instead of being beat down by everything around us, we can remember that it's in him that our joy is found. Happiness is fleeting. Different things can make you happy, but joy can never be stolen from you if you're in the Lord. That's yours and Him. And people are going to do dumb things, and they're going to say dumb things, and they're going to try to take away your... I mean, we're living in a, in a, in a society now that, that is trying to 
to take away our, our religious freedoms, particularly for Christians, where we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't pray here, we can't pray there. We have to endure that stuff with patience. All the while, we're giving thanks to God who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. Boy, if that's not enough reason to make you want to endure and be patient and give people time. I mean, a lot of the reasons we have to deal with this stuff, I mean, Jesus could come back today and we'd be done with all this. But the Scripture says that, that Christ or God is not slow like some would consider slowness, but He wants to give everybody the opportunity to repent. So we have to endure some dumb stuff and be patient with some people and do it with joy and love so that way they have the opportunity to receive Christ. And that right there should be an incredible motivator for all of us that not only do we get to share in the inheritance, but we might be able to bring somebody else to share alongside with us. And we're going to go ahead and, and end here today. Colossians 1, 13-14. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is part of that inheritance that he's talking about right here. Jesus Christ has delivered us from the domain of darkness. I mean, that's a good thing. I mean, if that was all it was, that would probably be enough if you were just delivered from the domain of the evil one. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't say, you know what, you're not just delivered. He says, but I'm also going to transfer you into the kingdom of his beloved son. So not only are you pulled out of a terrible place, but then you moved into the most wonderful place in the world. And if that doesn't motivate you to be patient with people, to endure whatever we have to, to hold on to the truth of the gospel, because that's the the only way that you're going to receive this inheritance is in the truth of the gospel. If you let other stuff get you all mixed up and dragged away, you can walk away from the gift that's been given freely to you. And in him we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. We are made brand new. We are redeemed. There is, a, there is a penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death, but we've been redeemed. That check has been paid. The, you know, it's just like when, you, when you're at a restaurant, and, and has anybody ever, anybody ever paid for somebody's bill that you didn't know? Man, I, I, I never stick around to see what happened, but I always wondered like when they go to pay their bill, and they're like, we're sorry, it's already paid. You've been taken care of. I wonder how someone goes, no, 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 I'd like to pay for that myself. I'd like to pay for it again. It's been paid for. It's been redeemed. That check's been redeemed. It's done. And that's what happens with us. And this is the reason that we hold on to it. So it's not snatched away, but it's also the reason why we're patient and endure so that everybody else has the same opportunity. We have the forgiveness of sins and so much more. We also have a brand new life. That is so amazing. And if that's, that's what Paul's praying for. He says, you know what? Endure the stuff and remember what you have. If you ever feel like giving up, Tony, remember what you have. Because that should be enough to keep you pushing on straight forward through. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, that's the first part of of Colossians 1. We'll go ahead and get into the next part next week. But uh, uh, let's go ahead and uh, stand to our feet.